Welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Frack. And today, our guest is John McGowan. And he is the owner of High Fidelity Property Management, which he started back in 2010. So welcome to the show, John. How are you doing today? Thanks for having me. I'm doing well. How about you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much. So John, can you share with us a little bit more about your background and how you got started with real estate? Sure. I was born and raised in Chicago. And right after high school, I joined the Navy. I spent four years in Southern California. San Diego? In San Diego, (laughs) yeah. And that was from 99 to 2003. I finished with the Navy and immediately got into real estate. So I jumped right from the Operation Iraqi Freedom, and right into real estate. And I started with a company called Chicago Apartment Finders, and we did mostly leasing. And that was sort of where I got my first introduction to real estate and to multifamily. I did not know about investing at that time. So the natural progression for me was to go from rentals into sales. And then from sales, I went into property management. And then from property management, I went into investing. And I started High Fidelity in 2010. I was a vice president of sales with Jamison Sotheby's International Realty. I was a a VP of sales with them for 11 years. And then right at the beginning of 2020, I started High Fidelity Realty and broke off. And now we're, we're doing everything solo by ourselves. Oh, so thank you also for your service. But I have to ask you, how did you jump from the Navy going straight into real estate, was that the plan all along or like what got you into real estate initially? My plan was to stay living in Southern California. I loved it there and was intending on applying for a bunch of different jobs in the area. I actually broke my ankle and ended up moving back to Chicago where my base, my family, all my roots, everybody was there, all my connections and contacts And a friend of mine, his father was working at that Chicago apartment finders company. And it just seemed more interesting than anything I had seen or heard about at the time. So I didn't even have to interview. I just kind of hopped in and started cold calling landlords. That was my first job. So that's how it happened, though. It was through somebody I knew who offered me a job. Got it. And so when you started... Uh, high fidelity property management back in 2010. What was the biggest challenge that you had to face when you were starting your own property management company? Well, I started it with $600 in a basement. No, no kidding. I had the property management software. I had a maintenance team that I was confident in. I had the skills to make sure that places got rented. So the idea was at the time there was a recession going on and home values were plummeting and selling real estate was very difficult. So the original idea was we were going to sell, actually, we were going to manage and lease people's condos who became absentee landlords and had to leave the Chicago area. We would incubate those condos for them and then sell them when they were ready to sell. What ended up happening is we, in that process, we started managing larger multifamily buildings 
And it was there I kind of learned about economy to scale and dove way deeper into building maintenance and capital expenditures and improvements and renovations and things like that and realized that managing larger multifamily is a little more fun and a little more interesting. So my first assignment was a 45-unit building in the West Loop and then never looked back from there. How did you get your first client and how did you start building out your clientele base and spreading the word on what you were doing? I cold called. uh, In the Chicago area? In the Chicago area. So when I worked at Chicago Apartment Finders, my job was to cold call landlords. And when I left Chicago Apartment Finders and started working at Sotheby's, the only person in my corner or the only person giving me business was me. And, you know, like there just wasn't a lot of action at that time. So I kind of had to create my own like business. So I cold called landlords and got them to list with me, you know, like for rentals. I started cold calling people to see if they were looking for property management. And I ended up calling the owner of the 45 unit building that I ended up managing as my first assignment. He had a listing on Greenview. They had just started a $500 million fund. Um, they sold a mortgage company, partnered with a huge capital partner. So they were just getting started themselves and they weren't really too experienced. And so we felt like we were a good fit for each other because they were just starting out in the real estate space. I was just starting as a property management company. And so that's how I got the first big one really was I cold called them and they actually offered me a way bigger assignment. There was a 105 unit assignment and I was intimidated by it. And I said, you know what, I don't think I'm set up for that kind of scale yet. You know, I appreciate the offer. And they said, well, what about a 45 unit building? And I said, now that I think I could sink my teeth into. And so I did all the lease up and then managed it for them. And then when they were ready to sell, I helped facilitate that as well. I didn't sell it for them, but all the stuff that comes with selling a property from a property manager's standpoint. I think it takes a lot for a person to really understand what their capabilities are to be able to turn down an assignment that they are not ready for. They're not willing to take that on yet. And because you understand where you are in that situation and not wanting to let down and fail in what you're trying to do, but set the stones and foundations to get to that point where you are ready and you built up that experience and that knowledge base to be able to take on, you know, the hundred plus larger assignments. Yeah, totally. I, your reputation is one thing that somebody, you know, it's like it takes forever to build, but only a very short while to destroy. And I just never wanted to be known as somebody who was comfortable getting out over their skis. I always wanted to kind of operate in a safe place. I mean, there's that's one side of it. On the other side of the coin, challenging yourself and pushing and learning and developing and getting better. That's one thing. But taking on something that's beyond your capability is another thing. And the risk was just too great at the time. When you made that phone call and you did that cold call, what was like your proposition or your value add proposition that you were showcasing that stood you out across other property management companies that they decided to, you know, not only after you had turned down the 105 unit assignment, but offer you another 45 unit that they had in their portfolio? So what happened is I called the owner and he answered directly and I was good on the phone, you know, respectful of his time. I told him, I said, I, I see this listing here. You have it on Greenview listed for 2600 What if I could get you 28 And he kind of laughed, you know, and he said, all right, well, sure, I'll give you a shot. 
two days later, I had it rented for 28 and I had an application to him and I said, Hey, here you go. And he's kind of like, well, I'll be, you know, and he said, we should meet for coffee. I'd like to learn more about you. And so we met for coffee and that's when he learned, I didn't even tell him I had a property management company at that time. I was really just doing that to get the place leased for him and, you know, work him in as a client. But then we met for coffee and I explained about the property management company. I'm looking to grow. And he said, oh, I have a real estate company. We just started. And so it kind of just waterfall from there. What was he doing differently that he was, in his mind, the owner thought that they could only get $2,600 for that lease. But what did you do differently to be able to get to that $2,800? I just knew the market really well. I knew the product type he had. The location was A+. The time of year was right. And sometimes just by looking, you can tell that something's under. And I really put all my chips in that basket. I'm like, I think you're under rented. I think I can rent it for more. And give me a shot. Let me show you what I can do. And my proposition to him at the time was like, look, you can keep advertising it on your own. If I rent it for you, the only way I'll get paid is if I bring you somebody that you approve of. So what do you have to lose? And he liked that. And yeah, I mean, that was it. But to answer your question succinctly, like I knew the market. What are some of the biggest mistakes that you see or like the biggest pitfalls that, you know, people who self-manage themselves tend to do versus hiring like a third-party property management company? Because in this scenario, you are, you could already see that because you were so well-versed in the market, you already had a higher knowledge of what you could get rented out for. You had leg up in that space versus like a, a owner who might not necessarily know the ins and outs of the markets as well as you do. What are some other pitfalls that you typically see with uh, self-managing people versus hiring a third-party manager such as yourself? I think that the, so there's a lot of really good owner operators, people who self-manage. But what our clients, the, the people that I interact with the most are generally people who do real estate as a hobby. They've bought one building, they've bought two buildings, then some life distracts them or some event at the building pushes them over the edge where they're like, okay, I thought I could do this by myself. I can't do it anymore. I need a third-party manager. I think a pitfall is a lot of owners, they underestimate how much time it actually takes to manage the building properly, fielding tenant phone calls in the middle of the night, the different personalities, managing different personalities, making sure that you get all the administrative lease documentation done properly. It's a lot of work. And some guys are, and gals are really good at it up to a certain point. And so I think that overestimating your abilities and how much time it's going to take is a big pitfall. How do you manage between or has there ever been a time where you and the owner had a conflict about what to do with the property and maybe potential tenants? And how do you tend to resolve those types of conversations and come to a, a conclusion? We've been really blessed. Most of our owners are in alignment with us. That we, you know, we're not partners on paper, but in practice, we approach our relationship as if we were partners. But you know, things do happen from time to time. Sometimes we make mistakes on under communicating. I think over communicating is like the way to go always in this business. But sometimes if you're not letting somebody know what's going on and they're left out of the loop and then you bring them in after the fact, that can rub people the wrong way. And the way you handle that 
I'm trying to answer your direct question, but like the way you handle conflict is through is through communication and reminding each other what the goals and objectives are. And our relationship with investors, our clients, is predicated by a management agreement. And you can tell very early on what type of client someone's going to be with how they approach the terms of the management agreement. So people who are, you know, our job is to make and save owners money. But sometimes when people are at the risk of sounding politically incorrect, like uh, penny wise, pound foolish, that can get in our way. Now, it doesn't happen very often, but when it does, getting on the phone and talking to that person directly or meeting for coffee and always like going to the data and going to what the most pragmatic solution would be is how we manage through those difficult situations. I think having data though, and having like something as backup to kind of authenticate what you're trying to accomplish is the best way to go about it. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. And also when you said something you also mentioned earlier too, is you operate as partners with your clients. You don't just work as like a property manager versus an owner, but you work together as partners together with them. Especially in the beginning, I think it's really important to set that foundation, You know, establish a strong relationship upfront. So what does that typically look like for you when you onboard a new client and partner in the property management space? How does that look like for you? And how do you set the tone for the rest of the relationship? So the management agreement is very important that everybody's on the same page. I like to give people as much time as they need to review it and ask questions. And we don't really custom tailor our management solutions for each individual client. We kind of need to find people who fit into our mold because we have a saying that exception is the death of efficiency. So we try to level expectations on the front end and keep everybody on the same program. And that allows us to be more efficient. The more efficient we are on the back end, the easier of a time we have executing tasks for these owners and for the tenants and keeping them happy. We have a new owner checklist that we send to owners. There is a number of things that we need to collect from them in order for us to be able to do our job properly. And as soon as we get the agreement signed, we start working an onboarding checklist. And a lot of that is tied to the new owner and we need to collect a lot of information from them. So we're setting the tone right off the bat that, you know, organization and attention to detail and timeliness and communication are really important. We always make sure that owners and everybody understand our values as a company, which is fairness, transparency, and empathy. And we hope that that's reflected in pretty much everything that we do. So we set the tone by controlling the tempo, if that makes sense. In the management agreement, what are some examples of things that you would find in the management agreement? Oh, there's the terms of the agreement are normally like 
the length of time of the contract. So our, generally ours are a year term that auto renew unless somebody says something otherwise. There's a 30 to 60 day out clause for both parties. If it's just not working out, either of us can cancel at any time. There's a management fee. The management fee is dependent on a lot of different things, how big the property is, where the building's at financially, with, are there a lot of collections, are there a lot of deferred maintenance issues, things like that can influence a management fee. We have in-house maintenance and in-house janitorial, uh, in-house snow removal. That's part of the management agreement, making sure they understand like we're going to be taking care of these things. These are the costs. The lease, we have in-house leasing. So um, provision in there about us being the exclusive leasing agent for the property is also in there. There are renewal fee we charge for executing renewals. Insurance language, what's required of us, what's required of the owner, indemnification language, and then a bunch of legal ease. How often are you meeting with owners? Every day. I mean, we have probably 80 different owners in our portfolio and every one of them, they need to feel like they're our only client or that they're our special. And they are, they really are. Every single one of them, we won't take business if we can't execute at a level where we feel like, you know, they're not being neglected because I think that's one of the bigger issues property owners or investors have. It's the same thing with everybody, even tenants, vendors, everybody, you know, on the selling and buying side, like if you're not making somebody feel like their needs are being met, or if you're not meeting their needs, it leaves a bad taste in people's mouth and they lose confidence in you and then they don't trust you. So making sure that you're regularly communicating with owners is really important to us. And we do it in general. Some people, you know, we touch base quarterly. Some people we touch base monthly. Some people we touch base from time to time. Most owners we're talking because there are thresholds and protocols for expenditure limits. So we're engaging them whenever there are repairs. So they're hearing from us then. We're engaging them whenever in our renewal season, where we're our heads at as far as what the renewal rates should be, what happens if they stay, what happens if they go, if they go, what kind of leasing rates are we looking at? Those are all questions that we're asking on a consistent basis. But the most successful relationships we have are with people that we're communicating with on a like regimented, consistent schedule. Are you focused primarily on just multifamily apartments? Yeah. Yes. In the Chicago area? In the Chicago area. We'll do some of the Chicago suburbs. We have buildings we manage and the close surrounding suburbs, but there's so much meat on the bone in Chicago. We tend to just stay focused in the, the city's north side and parts of the south side. What's the typical average size of apartments that you like to manage or what's your sweet spot? Sweet spot would be uh, anywhere from six apartments to about 50 units. Got it. Perfect. Awesome. So fast forward to today, John, or in 2020, when you decided to start High Fidelity Realty, what prompted that transition and how did that company start and what's that focus for that company there? Well, when I was at Jamison Sotheby's, I owned the property management company as well. And I also was a commercial broker and I was a residential broker. So I was going under the Jamison. I felt like the branding, my brand identity was confusing. Was I John, the property manager? Was I John, the broker? Or was I John, the commercial real estate broker? So, and really it was three different companies because Jamison Sotheby's doesn't sell commercial, but Jamison Commercial did. So I was 
kind of like working off of three brands. I had no real personal brand. And I felt like by eliminating the Sotheby's brand and not relying on that and developing my own brand, it would be less confusing for people and easier for me to get my message out there of who I am and what I do and how I'm different and why people would want to work with me. And and it's helped. It's helped. As much as I loved working at Sotheby's, I still am really good friends and partners and a lot of clients still there. Actual brokers who work there who are clients. It's kind of funny. Like a lot of my clients are in real estate, but it was about kind of like clearing the pathway for a new brand that I was trying to get out into the market. And the brokerage arm is really, it's there to service property management company. We don't really focus on like selling single family homes or selling condos. We do that for friends and family when it makes sense. But generally speaking, we have a brokerage so that we can rent apartments for owners in our portfolio. And then we also have a couple of strategic partnerships with other owner operators who have their own management organization. They've got a good system going, but they don't, they don't do leasing. So they'll hire us to do leasing for them. And, you know, that's something we're looking to grow in the future. But really, I mean, it's been two, almost three years in the focus. It has been and will be making sure that the owners in the portfolio are taken care of well. Got it. So, John, how has real estate investing impacted your life so far? Very positively. I started in 2015 as a limited partner and I kind of watched on the sideline as a few different groups got going from 2010 or 11 to like 2020, there were some really solid years and there were good neighborhoods that were developing where you could buy property at a good price. Construction costs were reasonable. You could renovate stuff and re-rent it and make a decent spread. And so I watched people fail. I watched people succeed. I kind of took the good and left the bad and started on my own in 2016, buying buildings in Logan Square here in Chicago. And even after watching people make mistakes and succeed, you still make your own mistakes and you still have your own successes. And it's been good because it's another echelon, like raising money and presenting a business plan, like doing that three or four times a year. It's a lot of work, but it's really rewarding. And when you find buildings that you think have potential or I think have potential. And I present that to people and my terms that I'm asking for are met. It's validating and it's uh, satisfying. Once the problems are solved and the puzzle is put together and you're looking at a finished product and now we're managing it, it's stable and we're sending out reports and we're giving distributions and investors are happy That to me is where I find a lot of satisfaction in the work. And if there was one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started, what would that be? How hard it is. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like when I was younger, maybe a little cocky or just naive, kind of thinking like, ah, get the management software, got the maintenance team. What can go wrong? You know, like there are so many obstacles and there are so many pitfalls that you can fall into. Just growing a staff of people to work for you and becoming a better leader and manager of the team has been like a humbling experience. And I'd like to think I'm doing okay at it now. And there's always room for improvement. But starting off going from the military into, 
you know, being a real estate broker where I was a lone wolf to then having a property management company and having to staff that company up as we scaled, it was kind of brutal. And I just, you know, like I said, with those owners, you know, you buy a piece of real estate, you're like, Hey, look at how it can't be that hard. And then you get into it and you're like, Oh, wow, this is definitely harder than I thought. So I'm glad no one told me how hard it was going to be. I actually had a lot of people asking me why I wanted to do property management. They're like, "Ugh, why would you want to do that? And that kind of fueled me. That kind of made me want to do it more. But no one said, like everybody said, don't do property management. The margins are thin. You should just invest in real estate and live an easier life. But I wanted that infrastructure and I wanted a little bit more of a predictable income than sales brokerage provided. But yeah, I think the biggest lesson for me is like, don't in the future, you know, whether it's a new assignment or a new endeavor or a new idea that you want to implement, like really think these things through and look at all the angles and make sure that you've got all your bases covered before you commit. So what do you think is the one thing that sets the successful people apart in real estate then? Never giving up never giving up. Like the people who don't have any quit in them, there are a lot of people who work really, really hard Mm -hmm. and make it look really easy. That's an art form, I think. And there's a lot of people who watch the real estate shows or read a little bit about it in the news. And they kind of get this idea that just because they know a lot of people or they're good at marketing, that's going to translate to sales commission. And it doesn't always. So I think what sets the great brokers or owners or business people apart are as like having goals, having objectives, and then stopping at nothing to make sure that you're meeting those. Because it does, it gets tiring. Your gears get ground down. And sometimes it's easy to convince yourself that maybe there's something else you should be doing. But staying true to the original vision and the business plan Mm -hmm. is, I think, what separates the good from the great. So John, what continues to drive you even through you know, the difficult times, especially the growing pains of growing up your own business and everything like that, scaling up to where you are today, what continues to drive you and motivate you even through all the obstacles that you have to face? Well, I, as weird as it sounds like it's an interesting dichotomy, like I like working, but I like my freedom more and being an entrepreneur and the owner of the two companies and being in control of my own destiny and the unlimited income potential. Those are all things that drive me still. Awesome. And John, if our listeners wanted to find out more about you, find out what you're doing, where's the best place that they can go? Uh, We have a website, www.hifipm.com. That's H-I-F-I-P-M.com. But really, I would encourage people just to email me directly at john, J-O-H-N, at hifipm.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time today, John. My pleasure. Thank you. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. 
Sale and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.